electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people are my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You might not know from the final tally, with the Dow only gaining 47 points, S&P slipping 0.13%, and the Nasdaq declining 0.23%, but this was a tumultuous session! Filled with chaotic moves. We were driven back and forth by over-exuberance. House of pleasure. For the soon-to-be-approved vaccine, fear of ever-spiking COVID cases, and confusion about the possibility... Of government stimulus. The house of pain. It's almost as if there are no rules anymore, right? And as my friend David Tepper, the legendary investor and hedge fund manager and all those other things, who happened to my teacher at Goldman Sachs, says, it's all about short-term holdings. As he told me this morning right before Squawk on the Street, and I quote, there are stocks to own and stocks to rent. Some are very short-term rentals, more like a by-the-hour hotel. You can have a lot of fun for a short, term, short time, he said, but please don't overstay your welcome. You know, I think that is really sage advice. It's probably the smartest thing I've heard this week, okay, month, and it's a good place to start our game plan for next week. Now, last Friday, I said that we could be in a world of hurt if we don't get another stimulus bill. Well, the stimulus didn't happen, and the week was pretty rough, unless you got in on the ground floor of the DoorDash or Airbnb IPOs. Now, though, the market's ratcheted back its expectations. So if we do actually get a stimulus compromise next week, stocks could come roaring back. That said, most of us have started giving up on Washington. The Democrats want to hold out for a more generous deal. The Republicans seem to think that the economy will be just fine without one, despite another wave of unemployment to match the latest wave of the outbreak. Either way, our political system punishes compromise, doesn't it? Instead, we have a new hope, though. The FDA approving the first COVID vaccine from Pfizer. This is a market that reacts positively to the obvious. So get ready, because this thing is almost certain to be approved, whether it happens tonight or maybe over the weekend. Then the chaos will begin as each state tries to figure out who should get vaccinated first. 
We have another bit of drug news on Monday. One of my absolute favorite companies, AbbVie, is holding a meeting to talk about its immunology franchise that's been keeping a lid on the stock because their biggest drug, Umira, loses patent protection in the not-too-distant future. If AbbVie can present some good numbers for its newer drugs that could replace Umira, that will take the pressure off that drug and the company. And I think the stock could soar. It's got the best, one of the best yields of the whole group, and it's got a lot of growth. Next up, you know I'm a big believer in the humanization of pets theme. I told you to buy that Chewy with both hands after we spoke to the CEO earlier this week. And the stock just hit a new all-time high today, up $7.85. But on Tuesday, we have an analyst meeting for the only pet care company with a stock that's been a complete dud, and that's Elanco. This is a veterinary medicine play, and if CEO Jeff Simmons has anything newsworthy, the stock could play catch-up. Wednesday, we've got two good ones. We've got Lenar, large national home builder, good company, and Herman Miller, that's that office furniture play. I bet they're going to both have terrific numbers. The question, will it even matter? Well, people assume Lenar is only doing well because the pandemic has caused people to flee from the cities to the suburbs. So with a vaccine on the way, is that trade over? Was it just a trade all along? Herman Miller is the same issue. Can they keep selling all these fancy air on chairs after the pandemic ends and people don't need to set up so many home offices? Now, we know Tall Brothers reported a very good quarter this week and its stock just got crushed. I think it was a big mistake, but it did. Um, So unless Lenar and Herman Miller sell off hard going into the results, I suggest you take a pass. Now, you're going to hear too much chatter about how these are the last good quarters or maybe the penultimate good quarters or that usual nonsense that makes people feel like, you know what, I've had enough. I think that's wrong. The home builders will do just fine after we beat COVID because interest rates are incredibly low, which always spurs demand for new homes. If there's one flaw in my thesis, though, it's that the Federal Reserve could potentially raise interest rates. Again, I think very unlikely. But we're going to get a reality check when Fed Chief Jerome Powell speaks about the state of the economy next Wednesday. So that means, look, if if Lenar really gets hammered, I'm kind of interested. Herman Miller did have an upside surprise last time, so the stock is jacked up. Anyway, Thursday's big. We start with uh, Accenture, the information technology outsourcer and consultant, with a stock that tends to get hit on earnings. Time after time, though, that's been a terrific entry point. Be careful. When you hit up ACN, the symbol, when you type it, Spell check always makes it C-A-N. Completely confuses you. Got to fix that. Then there's General Mills. The uh, market sure didn't like the numbers from Campbell's Soup, but I bet General Mills will be better received. Watch their pet food business as that blue buffalo. We know that category is on fire. Baking's back, by the way. But it's possible everyone will conclude that the packaged food place will lose some of their coveted shine once we get a vaccine. Remember, they're vaccine losers in a world where we got a lot of vaccine winners. Hey, including Disney. See that today? Whoa, what a day. Now, we can also get some good news about Moderna. When an FDA panel meets to consider the vac- their vaccine, their vaccine candidate, I guess you call it, uh, do you know that they're ready to ship 20 million doses by the end of the month, then another 80 million in the first quarter of next year? We learned tonight that the U.S. government exercised an option to buy another 100 million doses for the second quarter. I'm telling you, I said we are going to have a vaccine glut by the end of the first quarter. Speaking of vaccines, Rite Aid, symbol RAD, reports Thursday morning, followed by the FedEx after the close. We know that RAD will be one of the main uh, distributors of the vaccine, along with CVS and Walgreens. We also know that FedEx will be shipping this thing all over the place. However, it's not much of a needle mover. That's bad news for Rite Aid because they're being beaten by CVS and Walgreens with, of course, Amazon on the way. But it's good news for FedEx with its thriving e-commerce business, although the stock has moved so much. Eh, I don't know how much it can run. If they don't say great things. Hey, then there's J. Bill. Listen to this one, okay? Uh, this is a contract manufacturer for a host of different industries, do a lot of healthcare too, with a, with a big chunk of Apple business. 
People will try to extrapolate the success of the iPhone 12 from J-Bill, but it's a torturous affair because they're not allowed to mention the word Apple by name. Still, the analysts will figure it out, and they're going to update their forecasts on Friday. Remember, J-Bill's got a lot of of the 12. It's going to be very important. Finally, we've got two biggies on Friday, Darden and Nike. Uh, Now, New York City just banned indoor dining, and I think a lot of the country's going to follow that. Uh, That could be terrible for Darden's restaurants, including Olive Garden, at least in the short term. Longer term, though, get this, Darden can survive until we reopen, which means it's the last man standing situation. You can raise numbers in the back half of next year. I expect them to say good things, but it might not matter at this point, especially since the stock's already run a great deal from when they slashed the dividend. All right, I just boosted it. Best for last, Nike. I expect Nike should report a fabulous number because all of its physical stores markets are coming back hard and its direct-to-consumer business is on fire. I would be shocked if Nike doesn't crush the estimates. The analysts have been recommending it endlessly this week, and they don't do that unless they have a pretty good read on the quarter. I really like the company. John Donna, would you mind calling me on the day you report? It's starting to bum me out. Anyway, the bu- it's me to John. Sorry, I invited you, all your other people too. The bottom line, if you want to speculate... This is the time to do it. Just speculate wisely. Got my blessing to buy a bunch of stocks in a week. This is to move closer to the long-awaited vaccine, even if the much-needed stimulus bill remains up in the air. Take questions. Bruce in New Jersey. Bruce. Booyah, Jim, from Atlantic City. Hey, I love your show. All right, man. Are you on Boardwalk or are you on Park Place? Uh, Park Place right now. Okay, yeah. good. You're green. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's right. My question is about Marriott International. They uh, partnered with uh, Grab in Southeast Asia and started an Airbnb-type service. The stock has gone up around 25 points. Um, Now that a vaccine is in reach, do you see it going up to pre-COVID levels or even higher? I think think it will. I think that it's a well-run company. And let me tell you why, Bruce. This is a great question. A lot of hotel chains went under or have had to pull back, but Marriott had the best balance sheet. And uh, you know what that means? That means Arnie Sorensen wins, which is good because he's one of the good guys. How about we take Teresa in North Carolina? Teresa. Hello, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my question. No problem. I bought Rite Aid a little while ago, and since November 1st, the stocks have more than doubled. So with the earnings report coming out next week, and with CEO Miss Donegan, a digital health executive, being at the helm, do you believe Rite Aid is being transformed? Uh, actually, I don't. I think that there was a big short squeeze. I think the short squeeze could be reactivated, uh, meaning it could go happen again. But you know what? I, my child trusted on CVS. Larry Merlot did a quite a good job this week when he was interviewed by Becky. I am a huge believer in CVS, even though it's been a little, you know, Red has been better stock. But anyway, I kind of like it. What can I say? Look, if you want to speculate, as my friend David Tepper says, just do it wisely. Rentals, okay? Rentals, even by the hour. On Man Money Tonight, with the incoming Biden administration, could shifting attitudes on cannabis have some stocks in the space gearing up for growth? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of True Leave to find out where it's headed. Then it's a stock that's right for this moment, and it's simply not getting its due. I'm changing that today. And it's a stock up 50% in the past month alone. Can the expansion of 5G continue to push Inseco higher? Why don't we talk with the top brass? Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every year, more and more states legalize marijuana. This is a powerful long-term theme, but it's tough to play directly because the best U.S. operators trade primarily in Canada. It's too bad because these American multi-state operators are some of the best businesses in the cannabis industry. Take TrueLeave. Uh, TrueLeave Cannabis is one of the big three multi-state operators. This is a vertically integrated medical marijuana company that's the dominant player in Florida with a growing presence in the Northeast, including Pennsylvania. They grow their own merchandise, process it, and then sell it at their own stores. The company just opened its 73rd dispensary on Monday. Even better, Tulee's been turning a profit since 2017, and it keeps putting up fabulous results. That's why the stock has been such a great performer. Too bad it only trades in Canada. Still, in an industry where many companies have struggled, we want a clearer picture of how to do it right. So let's take a closer look with Kim Rivers. She's the chairperson and CEO of Tulee. Ms. Rivers, welcome back to Man Money. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so Kim, uh, big news. You opened a new store this week. What is it like when a new store opens? I mean, because it is medical. It's not like you can have big lines to come in, but do people know about it ahead? Absolutely. And actually, it is a celebration. Um, our patients are thrilled to have us uh, open in their community. Uh, we actually have requests for dispensary locations in communities where folks submit locations online. And, uh, and, we, and it's a, it is a big celebration. So folks are very excited and happy when, uh, when we open a store. And our stores actually launch with, uh, with full houses. And uh, we, we start off on in a profitable foot. Well, it does make sense. I mean, every time cannabis is on the ballot in any state in the union, it, it tends to win, correct? 
That's right. Actually, in this last election, every single state, that, which were five of them, that had uh, cannabis initiatives passed overwhelmingly. And, and we're talking about states like Mississippi, which, of course, is deeply red and very conservative, uh, and, and all the way, of course, to, uh, to other states as well, such as um, you know, North Dakota and so forth. So it's, it's been an amazing run for cannabis lately, and it certainly is becoming more and more, more, and more normalized. Okay, you have a great hub strategy, and it's helped you deliver some incredibly good same-store sales numbers. And you're big in Pennsylvania. I uh, made some acquisitions. They seem good. Can I expect the same thing to happen in the great state of New Jersey we are right now? Well, I mean, New Jersey is certainly hot right now, um, as the governor and, and others are poising that state for recreational uh, cannabis measures to come. Uh, and really in the Northeast as a whole, we, we see that that region turning on. And, and for us, really, the hub strategy is about, uh, you know, just market opportunity and making sure that we have scale in different hubs as the federal landscape changes, um, which is changing around us, like we just said. And so it's important to have economies of scale and, again, efficiencies. And it's really all about bringing the best quality product to uh, to the customers with that fantastic customer experience. And, you know, the U.S. is a very different market than, than our friends to the north. And there is real incredible opportunity here as we look at the numbers and the growth trajectory for the U.S. in the years ahead. Uh, you put up uh, 19% same-store sales uh, for the, uh, the stores that are in the entirety for the quarter, the 29 stores. Uh, and it makes me think to myself, what are you doing with all that cash, given how convoluted our country is about cannabis companies putting cash in the bank? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So we're, we're reinvesting dollars earned into the business. And it is really important for us to have strong ROI um, for every dollar that we spend. Because as you know, we're taxed under 280E. So it's an effectively a 50% tax rate. And we don't have access to, to normalized lending, which means that we can't take out a mortgage or a normal business banking loan. And so we do have to be uh, very uh, cognizant and really focusing on fundamentals uh, for our growth strategy. Um, and as, of course, we also know the capital markets can be fickle. So uh, really, TrueLeave has been has been fundamental focus from the very, very beginning. And that cash will go to fund additional expansion, like you just mentioned, stores in Florida and our other markets in the Northeast, along with organic growth. We're applying for licenses uh, currently as well. And then, of course, making sure that we're reinvesting in innovation and product development, um, which, of course, you have to you have to be on the cutting edge in this industry because it does change very quickly. Okay, so you have a seed to sale strategy. What does that mean in terms of where you grow and how you uh, bring it to market? Sure. So uh, it, it basically means that we control the supply chain and, and we are we are required to be seed to sale in Florida. So that's a forced vertical market okay. In other markets. We will be uh, seed to sale in some places and other markets. You can't be seed to sale. So it really is a regulation by regulation um, environment right now in the U.S. And it is very checkerboard. But what that means for us in Florida is it means that we have two million square feet of grow, that we produce over 550 SKUs and that we distribute those across our 68 dispensaries in the state of Florida uh, direct through our retail locations or also through home delivery, most of which is the next day across the state. Uh, so it really allows us to control the quality, the customer experience, and of course gives us margin protection. Right, one last question, Kim. Why is it that a state can pass uh, legalization and it takes forever to open dispensary? Massachusetts versus. <laughs> Uh, Massachusetts is an interesting example, and, and the reason the dispensary is uh, takes so long in Massachusetts, it's really because there's both local and state regulation that one has to navigate. And so, uh, not only do you have to have state approval for your license, and also you have you have vertical um, in Massachusetts as well, meaning you have to have the product to put in, into stores and grow that product, et cetera, which takes time. But also at the local level, you have to get local approval through what's called an, a host community agreement. Oh, okay. So there's local politics involved and state politics involved in some markets. Oh boy, okay, now I understand because once you put 
up a store, you make a lot of money. Well, I want to thank you so much, Kim Rivers, uh, chairman so and CEO of TrueLeave. Great to see you again. Good to see you too. Yep. Straightforward, good retail story. They just happen to be retailing medical cannabis. Stay with Kramer. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At a time after this week, when investors are falling all over themselves to pay sky-high prices for some of the 2020's hottest IPOs, I can't shake the feeling that a little company that came public in June is being overlooked. I'm talking about the AZEK company, A-Z-E-K, which makes faux wood construction products. Now, we recently spoke to the CEO, Jesse Singh, and I thought he told a terrific story. I think the stock hasn't gotten enough love, so I'm circling back and telling you to start loving it. In fact, I think it's a disgrace how ASIC has basically become the Rodney Dangerfield name of this market. It gets no respect. Last week, the company put in a fabulous quarter, and the stock sold off anyway because people were confused. Uh, and that's why tonight I'm pounding the table on this one. ASIC's got a great business that's taking market share, expanding its margins, and getting a boost from COVID as millions of, tra- of people trapped indoors remodel their homes. It is one of the biggest secular trends. Plus, unlike all the recent IPOs that we've shot into the stratosphere, Azex's lockup on insider selling has already expired. That's probably why the stock can't seem to build much momentum. I think that's creating a terrific buying opportunity. You don't have to pay up to get it, unlike some of the ones that we sold this week. And I think the stock will be able to turn around once it digests all the selling. We're not there yet. Now, there's one more reason I'm calling Azex a top idea for 2021. Uh, The lockup expiration on Wednesday finished, and I think you, you can use the subsequent volatility as an entry point because I see people chasing stocks all over the place and it's driving me crazy. We don't chase. We have patience. What has made me so bullish about this thing? Okay, ASIC makes building products that replace traditional materials, especially lumber, and have much lower maintenance costs. I just uh, decked my place with it. Haley had it. Did a great job. It's his wife's birthday tomorrow. It's okay. You can build yourself a new deck out of wood, but then you got to sand it, you got to seal it and paint it, all things that I'm really not that good at every few years, and that's assuming it doesn't warp or rot from water damage or get eaten by termites, or you could build with Azex composite alternatives that look just like wood but don't need much in the way of maintenance. And, hey, no splinters. Azex does composite deckings, railings, lighting, and exteriors like trim and moldings. They're the number two in the industry behind Kramer Fave, Trex. I like this composite business because before the, uh, before the pandemic, I think it's the answer to every homeowner's prayers. When Yates wrote The Second Coming, you know, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. I'm convinced he was talking about homeownership. 
I feel the same way every time there's a leak or some mold. The, the maintenance never stops. Except with ASIC, you can build a whole composite deck or give your house something, some nice composite siding, and you never really need to think about it again. Now, throw in the pandemic. With COVID causing a mass exodus from the cities to the suburbs or the country, where you'd still be stuck at home, but at least you'll have a little more room, not to mention some outdoor space, we've seen a boom in new home building and renovations. Lois just said it to us again this week. I like that stock, too. Now, the housing bull market has been fabulous for ASIC's residential business, which is up 30% in the most recent quarter, even as their much smaller commercial division is, I think, struggling. Speaking of the quarter, we know ASIC's doing well because we just spoke to the CEO a week ago and after he delivered a tremendous set of numbers. The company gave you a strong top and bottom line beat with net sales up 22% year over year. Even better, they had some very encouraging things to say about the next quarter, and they guided for higher than expected sales in 2021. If this had been a tech stock, it would have doubled. When you drill down, you got a company with a massively growing total addressable market, or TAM, as people use composites for more and more stuff. A company is gaining market share with expanding gross margins and a terrific CEO. Maybe the most impressive part of this whole darn thing is the margin expansion, what they make after the cost of goods sold. Their manufacturing productivity increased by 350 basis points from 2017 through 2019, and now they're projecting another 420 basis points of improvement from last year through 2022, thanks to gains from recycling. That means more and more profit to the bottom line for you. Meanwhile, the company's also been cleaning up its balance sheet. This was a private equity-backed IPO, and those often come with too much debt. But at this point, ASIC's net leverage ratio is down to 1.2. That means the interest before uh, the earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization could theoretically pay down the remaining debt in a little more than a year. That means lower interest payments, which makes, again, the company much more profitable. Then there's the market share question. After Jesse Singh took over as CEO in 2016, he used to be a senior executive at 3M, he made some major investments in marketing to really build out its brand. They now have very high name recognition among builders, 79% for ASIC decks and 66% for their timber deck brand. More importantly, the total adjustable market for ASIC's material type keeps expanding, especially for decking, rails, and trim. According to management, there are 58 million installed decks in the United States, many of which are wood, nearly half of which are old enough that they really should be replaced. The result? ASIC's literally got more business than they can handle right now, high-quality problem. And that's even with all its plants running flat out. Fortunately, the company's bringing on additional capacity. They want to increase their decking production by 70%. Yeah, they got that much business. They already boosted capacity by 20% in the last quarter. And they're looking to add another 20% in time for peak decking season next year. You probably didn't know there was a peak decking season. ASEC doesn't uh, think about the current housing bull market. It, it, it's, it's not, they, don't, they don't think it's one and done. So they're preparing for the long haul. When I ask Singh why anyone still builds, builds anything with wood, you know, given this composite is so good that you really can't tell the difference, he explained that it's about awareness. Even 10 years ago, the faux wood alternatives really didn't look that good. These days, I think you're hard-pressed to know and let you go right up and you knock on it. Between ASIC and Trex, though, they've only got about 20% of the market, meaning there's still a ton of room to grow, especially now that lumber prices are on the rise again. That makes ASIC more competitive on cost. At the same time, COVID has boosted demand for decking because if you want to see other people, a safe way to do it is to go outside. Some analysts believe the whole industry has already sold out through 2021. That's why they've been able to raise price. ASIC also has a sustainability kicker. All this stuff is basically plastic, which is made from fossil fuels. But unlike the competition, ASIC's all about recycling. The other guys do some recycling, too, but these guys are all about recycling. They source scrap materials direct from fabrication shops, construction sites, and remodeling projects. And I don't mean to denigrate Trex. Trex does a ton, too. I mean, these are both great ESG situations. Each year... Uh, uh, these guys, ASEC, diverts approximately 40, 400 million, 
400 million pounds of scrap from landfills. Not only is that great for the environment, it's also great for ASIC's margins. Right now, the stock sells for just over five times next year's sales forecast, making it a lot cheaper than one big competitor, Trex, which is just under nine times sales. ASIC's a little more expensive on earnings basis, but the company's geared for growth over profitability right now. I, I, so it, it's, I think it's less illuminating. One last thing. ASIC's lockup on insider sales, as I just explained, expired on Wednesday, meaning all these insiders who've been frozen can sell their shares. Probably some did, did already if they were going to press it. Uh, and that means the stocks could come under a little more pressure as everybody who has it at such a low basis cost has a uh, rings to register. Of course, we don't know who's really selling who's not. That means it's, it, it's good to me. It means you can buy ASIC in a weakness. That's a good way to buy things. You don't always have to buy strength. Bottom line, this is a simple story. ASIC's got great management, great financials, and demand for their products is off the charts. I bet they can keep beating the earnings estimates, and that translates into higher stock prices down the road. Not everything. Not everything can be an air dot this and a, and a door dot that. Uh, if you can get into dips in the next few weeks, I think ASIC will be even better. Hey, by the way, the catalog's great looking. Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. Brandon. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. How did your week go? The Chill Man chill man doing good. How about you? I'm doing great, Jim. So I know you have been behind Yeti since it was $18. You bet, and everybody hated it. And that was because they were idiots. All right, well, they were, they were ill-advised. Go ahead. Oh, what, I cut off Brandon? I like Yeti. I like Brandon. Oh, Brandon, I'm sorry. I ruined Brandon's weekend. Brandon, I think you're the greatest guy on earth. I'll buy a cock. Oh, sorry, restaurant's closed. Justin in New York. Justin. Is this Jimmy Chill? Oh, it'd be the man. How about you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I am so excited to be on the show right now. Wow, you and I me both. You. I'm glad I have one. Uh, What's going on? Uh, not too much. I am calling to talk about ammunition. They can't keep it on the shelf. This company has been making moves. They actually bought the ammo arm of Remington, to fulfill the needs of the people. Tell me about Vista Outdoor. This is a very, very well-run company, very good company. Uh, and whether you're a hunter or not, uh, it does. you should take into account the fact that it is a, a very strong company, very strong balance sheet, and doing a lot of right things. Uh, I personally think, well, I like the hunt, so okay, they're the one that you use. Anyway, the Asian company, it's being overlooked. Uh, I think it's a, I'm making a top idea for 2021. And anyway, much more mad money ahead. T-Mobile just introduced its first 5G hotspot, and Insego is helping power the technology. Can the mobile hotspot maker continue to soar after today's 12% move higher? Holy cow, I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then history, I think it's going to repeat itself if we don't fix the IPO market. And I actually know the solution. Do you think they'll listen to me? They better. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Time to circle back to the best little telco infrastructure company that you may never heard of. That is, of course, unless you watch Mad Money, because I'm enamored of this. I'm talking about Insego. Yes, we started following this one as a speculative play on the 5G build-out. Their technology helps fuel the expansion of 5G. But after COVID turned the world upside down, forcing millions of people to work from home, we realized Insego had a huge stay-at-home kicker. Their wireless hotspot devices have been flying off the shelves because families are desperate for bandwidth. When your kids are hogging the broadband to attend classes via Zoom, you can set up a hotspot to hook your device into the mobile network. 
As a result, Singer's stock has just soared from 7 bucks at the beginning of the year to 13 and change, including a monster 12% move today on top of a 9% gain yesterday. What happened? Well, Insigo partnered up with T-Mobile to provide the hardware and software for their first 5G mobile hotspot, and T-Mobile happens to be hot, hot, hot. It's huge. So let's check in with Dan Mondor. He's the chairman and CEO of Insigo to get a better sense of where this company's headed in the wake of this amazing deal. Mr. Mondor, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Okay, so Dan, uh, I have long admired T-Mobile. They're the most aggressive, they're the fastest, they're the best to, to, to uh, partner with, and you got them. How's it going? It's going great. Um, we're just seeing incredible demand across our entire 5G uh, product portfolio, and you know, working with uh, mobile operators around the world, uh, we just see incredible potential, quite frankly, and the T-Mobile deal is a, is a testament to... Uh, you know, how we're doing with our products, our performance, and our support. Um, it's the top of the first inning in a decade-long cycle, so we are super excited. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I think people don't realize. I mean, I remember when 2G came out, 3G, and every, after three months, people said, you got to sell all this stuff. It's moved up too much. Uh, Dan, I think that this cycle is actually going to be longer than all the others because it's a little more complicated. There's more to 5G than, uh, than one more uh, after 4G. Um, it really has to do with the potential on the bandwidth, the, uh, the rapid speed response, low latency, uh, the, number, the amount of bandwidth on the networks being built. And it's really, you know, consumers, gigabit speeds, super fast video downloads, obviously. The big deal, the big deal is about enterprise and the number of use cases across all kinds of industry verticals. That's really what uh, 5G is going to be, uh, I think, mainly about. And that's going to go for a long cycle. So that would be, what, Internet of Things, medical, auto. Uh, how would NCGO play in all those? Well, we're very involved in uh, enterprise activity, uh, you know, everywhere. So um, we see through our mobile operators which enterprise are buying, what kind of products they want. And so we're gearing our products and ha- are just, in, in fact, launching a brand new enterprise product portfolio geared around those various market verticals. So it's in a very exciting market for us, um, and we think it's going to be an incredible run. But one of the things I like about you is it's not just hardware. I mean, because if it's just hardware, we know it just has the vicissitudes of the market are too difficult. Uh, talk to us about the about your software component in Seagull Connect. It seems like it's really smart to me. Yeah, we, we started off about three years ago really to say, look, we're going to build new products. We're going to capture new customers and, importantly, new geographies because 5G market is massive in the U.S. It's uh, equally so uh, internationally. And so it was all about bringing those products to market, our mobile broadband hotspot, our fixed wireless products. And now we're building what we call the software stack. In other words, it's a set of software as a service applications that will power our products. So in Seago Connect is connection management. We can manage uh, subscriptions. We have Insego Secure, which is going to be about continuous cybersecurity updates, all cloud-based, all software as a service. So that's a super exciting new development for so, us. So, Dan, that's recurring. And we're really happy T-Mobile, T-Mobile loves it as much as we do. Well, that's a recurring revenue stream, so we can put a multiple on that too, right? Yes, yes. That's think, what it is. And that's one of the reasons why I think the stock has just been incredibly hot the last couple of days. And I, look, it's a game changer that you've got that contract. But you also have contracts with, with some of the other major telcos. Yeah, well, just recently, last few weeks, we announced a, a big deal with AT&T. 
Um, we have a 5G uh, deal with Verizon. So we're on, as I would say, all the big three, so all Americans can get uh, the benefits in Seago uh, 5G broadband hotspots. So that's terrific accomplishment to have all three. And as you probably saw this morning, we uh, announced a deal in Japan that's part of our international strategy a few weeks ago, Swisscom in Europe. So there's a lot of momentum across our entire product portfolio. I'm glad you mentioned the Verizon deal. I, I have not had the opportunity to visit the 17-square-mile real estate development in Orlando that they've got Lake Nona. What's going on there? Well, Lake Nona is really a visionary community. Um, what's going on there is a, is a 5G ecosystem. It's an incubator, an accelerator um, that has all kinds of early-stage companies I call them the 5G disruptors. And as far as our technology innovation, it's all about staying out in front. And we're involved there working with these companies. But importantly, uh, Lake Nona also has major businesses, enterprises in healthcare, smart city, mm -hmm. um, education, government, you name it. Um, so what we're doing with them is using our products to, use, to, to test out real world application use cases uh, with those major customers, those enterprises that will obviously buy that technology, you know, versus you're kind of off in a lab doing stuff all on your own. So super important incubator for, for 5G innovation. All right, well, when you talk about 5G innovation, I, I'm always trying to figure out what I can get out of 5G when it comes to video. For instance, Eric Yuan, who's a, just a terrific guy, was named the business, man of the, business person of the year by Time Magazine today. He, he created this amazing thing, Zoom. And I got to tell you, I've been on maybe... Four, three, four Zoom calls a day, and they keep freezing and dropping. And I'm like, what is this? I mean, it's two tin cans. I mean, if I have all, if we had all 5G, would would Zoom look like we were uh, having, you know, calls of the future or something? <laughs> well, it would. Uh, 5G is testing out at gigabit plus speeds. In fact, we've hit two gigabits, so incredible speeds. Really what's happening is it is solving the last mile problem that has existed for decades and it's doing it wirelessly, and it's ultra-high performance, super reliable. So, you know, it's now going to be the wireless equivalent of fiber optic cable oh. and coax cable, that sort of thing. Super important, and, uh, you know, you're looking at the launches and the data plans. It's all about enabling video collaboration, video streaming. Well, look, I got to tell you, I've been recommending Marvell Technologies, which has done well. It's done, done well. But it's Insego that is the pure play, both hardware and software. Well played, Dan Mondor, Chairman CEO of Insego, INSG. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, James. Great to be on. Great technology and now software, recurring revenue, deals with all the major carriers. Everybody has to come in. I like this stock, but you know that, don't you? Man, money's back in for great. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with Josephine in Texas. Josephine. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm so glad to be on your show. I love your uh, show and your wonderful insight. Oh, thank you. I bought, Tortoise, um, I bought Tortoise Energy Infrastructure about five years ago. It was doing real well. And then this year, for some reason, it, it just split. I mean, it did a reverse split. 
So why did your thoughts on it? Well, please? you know, we don't really know what I mean, it's an MLP holding company, basically. So we can't really we have to kind of unpack it to know what it really is. But that group has been horrendous. Uh, it, it just started. They all started bottoming at the same time that oil bottomed, and they're coming back. I would just hold on to it, but I don't know exactly what's in it because, like I said, it's kind of a holding company. Let's go to Matt in Washington, Matt. Jim, you're amazing, my man. Thank you to what you oh, guys thank do. You. Thank quick you. Shout out, quick shout out to my parents, my friend who brought this stock to me, and go Sounders. Big game tomorrow. Definitely Joe. I mean, he's dynamite. What's up? All right. Uh, Nano Dimension, ticker NNDM. The 3D print, 3D print. I, look, if I went 3D print, I'd be going to HP. Apparently there's a, well, it's a, yeah, a, a, HPQ. There's probably there's another, there's a 3D print company that's a SPAC. Uh, so we got to check on them, too. But these guys, uh, crab and field. How about that? Let's go to uh, Juan in Texas. Juan. Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Good evening. Given the potential catalyst of vaccine news tomorrow, next Thursday, what is your perspective on United? Is- well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds. One is that we had Larry Williams uh, doing uh, work. You know, he's just the best technician. He said the trade in American air is over. But on the other hand, I think United's got uh, is a coiled spring. But you're going to have to deal with a couple of real bad quarters. So I say put it on hold. Not, no, with nothing. Don't have to chase it. Let's go to Sheila in Tennessee. Sheila. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Would you give me your take on NVIDIA, please, okay. whether I should hold on to that Absolutely one. hold on to it. Jensen Wong is the most brilliant man. Hey, I don't know. Country? California? Whatever. Uh, but here's the issue. It's trying to buy another company, Arm Holdings. If it gets it, it's going to be king of the world. In the meantime, it's a bit of a drag on the stock. But I say hold on to NVIDIA. Incredibly well run and really great graphics. I need to go to Alex in New Jersey. Alex. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for all you do, brother. And oh. uh, thanks for not being so hard on us younger investors. Yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a, what am I? I'm a kind man. I'm a good man. Oh, that's from Apocalypse Now. Go ahead. Tell me what's up. Hey, so I got an interesting one for you. I picked this thing up in the high 60s when ARK Invest started buying into it. And, you know, it seems like we might have something like uh, what was going on with Slack. Uh, people are talking about a possible merger and acquisition of Fastly. What do you think of Ticker Fastly, FSLY? really? That's like the most expensive company on earth. Probably. Well, no, no, that's Snowflake. Look, I think Fastly, it, it had a decent quarter, not a great quarter. It turned out to be too much of it was TikTok. Uh, we need to have them back. It's making a bottom, but I'm not I, not as a takeout. Uh, it, it's good technology, but the TikTok did kind of surprise me. I need to go to Linda in Illinois, please. Linda! Hi, how are you, Jim? Uh, couldn't be better, thank you. How about you? Awesome, thank you. I would love to know your thoughts on JD.com. JD.com, okay, so I'm making some new exceptions here. You know that I've liked Alibaba, okay? I've always said Alibaba's good to buy. I'm thinking, you know, I may have to capitulate. JD had a great quarter, and our relations with China, somehow I think, are going to be a little more, I don't know, how would you put it, smooth? Uh, less capricious, perhaps? So I'm starting to warm up to JD. Right here, right now, I'm warming up to JD. I need to go to Jonathan, New York. Jonathan. Booyah, Jim. Big fan. Second time caller. Let me please correct the record for saying hello in the past from your home state of New York. I got joked about it. I meant that you were from uh, Wall Street, but my bad. Thank you. Stock is a subsidiary of Pfizer, and if you bless it, I may invest long. Viatris, VTRS. Up, John, Mylan. Not blessed. I'm not blessed. I mean, I got like 40 other drug companies I want to bless. How about for some Mars? They have great news this morning. I won't even pay any attention. I think you should be in Bristol Mars. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round.
is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I lived through the dot-com era once. I don't want to do it again. The IPO craze in 1999 and 2000 wiped out a whole generation of investors. I vowed back then that I'd do my best to educate everyone, the investors, the brokers, the syndicates, even the SEC, so that we could avoid repeating that horrible experience. So let me tell you what happened then and how it relates to what's happening now. You can capture the whole dot-com period in one single word, and that word is mania. Back then, the mania started on January 15, 1999. Oh, we had a decent market going in, but then MarketWatch.com came public in a deal that shocked Wall Street. This was a website with a couple million viewers. It offered a, sm- a small sliver of stock at 17 bucks, And then after a prolonged attempt to open, just like Airbnb the other day, the stock soared to $97.50. Up sev- it was up 474%. It was a completely absurd development, except to Wall Street, which loved it. And the government, which didn't seem to care. We'd seen something similar in late 1998. An alpha called the came public and spiked 605% at the opening. But we consider that an aberration. See, the Market Watch deal made it clear that it wasn't an aberration. Now we had a pattern. From then on, the public suddenly wanted a piece of the IPO market because, well, who doesn't want easy money? At the time, I was running a competitor market watch, thestreet.com, so I took a keen interest in what happened with that deal. Just like DoorDash and Airbnb earlier this week, a bunch of novice investors came in with market orders and sent the stock into the stratosphere at the opening. Because with a market order, obviously, you've agreed to pay any price to close that trade out. We saw something similar over the summer with, with Snowflake. But DoorDash and Airbnb, well, they were the ones that confirmed the pattern, just like MarketWatch. Now, there are, of course, major differences. MarketWatch was a trailblazer. But in terms of size, scale, and success, DoorDash and Airbnb are in a totally different league. And I know that. And don't bring that up on Twitter. But here's my point. Right when we saw the MarketWatch deal, the heads of the big brokerage firms should have sat down with the SEC and said, you know what? Government, we got a problem on our hands. The rules don't give us the flexibility to offer a lot more stock on the fly to meet additional demand when the public comes out in full force. And they're coming out with waves of market orders. So please let us go to the selling shareholders and the company to have a plan to free up more stock on the fly so we can create a more orderly market. Because believe me, that was not an orderly market with, with Airbnb or with DoorDash. But you know what? They never did it then. They need to do it now. If we're going to keep seeing these crazy deals, the book runners need to be able to adjust. As it stands, they can only offer a small sliver of stock, and there are just way too many buyers coming in over the transom. Public. It's not healthy to have stocks debut up more than 100% from where the IPO price. I mean, people are going to get hurt. Come on. Why should we care? Because in a few months, the pre-existing shareholders in these newly public companies will be able to sell their shares. And the poor fools who wanted in on the IPO are going to get crushed. Again, I saw this happen when regular investors came in and took the street.com from $19, where it came public, to 66 at the peak of trading on the first day. I wanted more stock to be released to hold the share price down because I was terrified of disappointing people. The bankers said their hands were tied. They were completely unprepared for the public's participation in the deal. I screamed at them, how could they be unprepared after what happened with MarketWatch? But they were blissfully ignorant. In the end, their answer was basically, who cares? Everybody made money, right? I couldn't believe it. This is what they did for a living? And they didn't think anything was wrong? That it was rational? We got more and more insane deals like this over the course of 1999, although week by week the companies were of increasingly poor quality. 
Then after six months, the lockups on insider selling started expiring. Insiders cashed out. Public was left holding the bag. In many cases, the bag was worthless. More than 300 companies that came public during the dot-com period ultimately went under. Thank heavens the street stayed in business, but they did go from 66 to 1. Will this happen again? Not exactly. You see, there are a ton of differences. But once again, the investment banks, okay, see, they don't seem to care, nor do the syndicate desks. They're setting people up for failure. They're setting the stock market up for failure. If we don't fix the IPO market now, we'll see more and more deals of dubious quality that will ultimately blow up in in our faces because, well, who doesn't want free money? That's why the SEC needs to give the syndicate desk the ability to call an audible and unlock additional shares in these IPOs, either from insiders or from the company itself. That way, the public won't keep mistakenly bidding up these things with market orders to insane levels, and they need to act fast. We can handle a few deals like the spike in Airbnb, but if we get a whole wave of them, that is dangerous for the market. So, memo to the SEC. Draft a rule that gives a brokerage house flexibility for prearranged plan to release additional stock if the IPO market gets too hot. That way, we won't repeat the mistakes of 1999 and 2000. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.